This is Dr. David Proden, and I want to thank you as we begin another journey into school and community safety. If you're looking for industrial safety expert, Appalachian State University professor, Dr. Timothy Ludwig, please visit www.safety-doc.com. Again, that's Dr. Timothy Ludwig at www.safety-doc.com. Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hi, everybody. This is David, and welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast on a very snowy day here in southern Wisconsin, and we have two more snow events in the seven-day forecast. It has been unreal. More snow than my snowblower can handle. We need spring. So I went to the doctor last week for a routine checkup, and my doctor came in and, and excitedly shared, David, you've lost seven pounds. Your blood pressure is lower. Your cholesterol is better. What have you been doing? And I said, not really anything different at all. It's just luck at this point. Um, I was in a car accident a month ago, so that actually kind of shut down the evening running. So I was surprised to get that report and just had to say, it is what it is, but maybe even better health on the future. Safety Doc's pretty healthy. But let's talk about the neighbor boys. Um, you know, when I was a kid, we built snow forts out in the yard. The neighbor boys tend to build them at the end of their driveways, so they take advantage of the big snowbanks pushed up by the city plows. Now, of course, the problem with that is very dangerous to have a snow fort at the end where if a plow came through, it could hit the fort, a car, and if kids came out of it, things like that, um, you know, could be could be hit by a car. So very dangerous. So I told them, I said, you know, the fort itself is very cool. You've done a good job on this, but this is too dangerous. You've got to go back. You've got a lot of property here and just not build near the road. So I said, I'm actually going to take a shovel and disassemble this fort um, so no one gets an idea to, to play in this because this is too dangerous. Thought that was fine. Thought the kids understood. So I got, yeah, okay. So I went, disassembled the fort, um, and left for work the next day. They had rebuilt the fort twice as big and I think twice as strong. So I did go and talk to the parents who then talked to the boys, um, but the fort remains. Um, yeah, definitely those kinds of things in winter can be obviously dangerous. We have to be aware of when kids are building these snow forts, you don't get close to the road. But then again, my mom tells stories of when growing up in the 1940s, they would block off Main Street in the small town I grew up in. And uh, kids would be at the top of the hill with those sleds that had the rails at the bottom on snowy days. And people from the community would stand at the crossroads and they would wave the kids down. So they would go down this quarter mile hill. And you had to make sure you stopped before you got to the bridge or you went down into the, to the river that would be bad. But um, yeah, so I guess it all kind of depends upon which lens you're using to look at these things. So today I wanted to talk about the uncanny valley. Now that's a term that you can Google, uncanny valley. It actually gets into, um, if you're watching, let's say The Matrix or The Incredibles or Wreck-It Ralph or the movie Avatar. And it's... When things that are computer-generated, CGI-generated, uh, begin to look too close to human that people have this adverse reaction to it. They don't respond well. Um, for example, the movie The Polar Express, which came out in 2004, actually one of my favorite movies. I always could watch The Polar Express. 
But there were a lot of people and a lot of children that reacted negatively to the movie because the characters were made to be lifelike but didn't quite have that lifelike appearance. So they were approaching this genuine lifelike state but weren't there. And that was very unsettling for children to watch and even some adults to watch um, where if you look at movies like The Incredibles, they purposely go with animated figures which are cartoonish in appearance. So there isn't this challenge to your mind of is this a person, is this a, a um, computer-generated um, you know, graphic that is supposed to be yeah, convincing me that, 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 that this is an authentic person, or is this obviously animated? Um, so, you know, for years, of course, you know, when I grew up, we had cartoons, Bugs Bunny, the Roadrunner, stuff like that. Well, you know, like, they're animated, so you don't have any issue with this uncanny valley. But, um, yeah, so this, this is becoming more and more prevalent. Um, I go back to the movie iRobot with Will Smith. And as you watch the scenes of the robots walking around um, with, their, with humans, the robots definitely are robots. Um, that They do not look, I mean, they, they have a human-type body, but they're white and they have a you know, plastic and, and definitely a, a latex or rubber face to it. And, and there is a very distinguishing element where nobody would c- confuse a robot um, visually with being um, a human. So, you know, that's, that's one example of where this whole uncanny valley. So that would be in the uncanny, uncanny valley, which was coined, let's go to this, by... Um, Masahiro Mori in 1970. So was working in robotics at that time and and came up with the term uncanny valley. Again, saying, you know, we can get to a point where people will accept um, not only avatars, but robots um, if they definitely do not look human-like. It's when they get too human-like that people start to feel really nervous and uncomfortable. And I'm bringing this up because we're at that point right now where some of these avatars, some of these computer-generated graphics are looking so human-like and then the algorithms behind them and kind of the puppeteers, the people operating these are able to have them comment on contemporary issues, for example, in society and have uh, superimposed so it looks like they're wearing... um, at, you know, logoed athletic wear or things like that. Um, so it is pretty amazing that actually they can be a tool for marketing. So you could contract with a company and they could be wearing all of their clothing line, for example, or jewelry line, or using their products and technology and commenting about it. And again, this is just an avatar. Let me give an example. This is from thecut.com, I'll link this out, the, thecut.com, talks about little Michaela. So if you do a Google search, I-L-I-L, and then Michaela, M-I-Q-U-E-L-A, little Michaela. So you might want to check that out because, so it's Michaela Sosa, little Michaela, has over 1 million followers on Instagram, over a million followers. And she was recently, this account was hacked by a troll, so making her um, say things from a certain political position. I think that also indicates the the risk of this. Um, She was having discussions back and forth with another um, avatar, so giving this impression, you know, that that there was this kind of lifelike feud going on. But so I've taken a look at these these images, and th- and they are all obviously they're all appropriate images. It's just like if it was somebody, um, you know, vacationing and they're taking pictures at different places. Like I'm here, or um, you know, these are some of the styles I'm into now, or here's some of the bands I'm into, or whatever. Um, so I'm following this through the article, and, and they're showing links. Um, so in these selfies, you can I'm reading this from thecut.com. In selfies, you can see the freckles on Michaela's face, her gap-tooth smile, but up close, her brown hair, often pulled into Princess Leia-esque buns, looks airbrushed, 
Twitter users have noted that her flyaway frizz always falls in the same pattern. Her skin reads as smooth as the glass screen that separates us. And when you peer into Michaela's big brown eyes, she fails the ultimate test of humanity. No, Michaela isn't real, at least not like you and me. She's an avatar puppeteered by Brud, B-U-R-D, a mysterious LA-based startup of engineers, storytellers, and dreamers who claim to specialize in artificial intelligence and robotics. Let's think about that. So imagine a million followers. Um, And so this this little Michaela, I would put somewhere in the mid-teens as an age, maybe late teens, you know, 15 to 17 range. So you could have high school students, middle school students who think, this is cool, like I'm following this person. And... You know, they're, they're going places, doing things that I would want to do. They're pretty mainstream. And as I, again, looked at these images, I wasn't completely convinced that these weren't authentic, unless I guess I would have really studied them. Um, the, the CGI graphics, and this is it, they've gotten so good. And because what she is posting, there is, again, this research team kind of behind this of engineers, storytellers, and dreamers who are posting things similar to what an authentic human would post. And they can stay very contemporary. Imagine they can identify what's happening in her area easily through the through gathering news sources, weather, things like that. So if they place her on a vacation in Italy or if they place her in Los Angeles, they can quickly find out what's happening in the area, and she can be commenting on that as if she was authentic. So it's like, well, okay, how could this keep going? I mean, wouldn't people eventually say, like, she was supposed to show up at this event and she wasn't there, or she commented and no one has any record of her being at this event? And um, But really, out of Facebook fans, I was reading this, or Facebook friends, um, I do not have a Facebook account but most people don't know the majority or have never met the majority of the people that they have as Facebook friends. So if you have a thousand friends on Facebook, there are at least 500 of those on average, probably, you know, some people, uh, many more that you have never physically met um, or that you've never had a conversation with um, on the phone or anything like that. And probably most of these people outside of just some comments back and forth on Facebook, like you haven't done anything like a Skype or a messenger or a chat or anything like that. So it's not that much of a stretch to believe that like a little Michaela and now there are other CGI avatars which are kind of crossing this uncanny bridge. Um, They're starting to cross it to the other side where people aren't sure or they've just... Um, accept it because this person is also, uh, this avatar is also sharing information which is contemporarily accurate to what's happening and then also contextually and situationally accurate, um, that people just go with it. Because how often do any of us, and especially kids, validate and authenticate their sources? They don't. So, and we also have all of the apps now on our phone, like I know on my phone, which I got this summer, um, you can take a picture of yourself and it converts it to an avatar. Now, of course, it's pretty silly and goofy, but the technology is easily available for you to create avatars of yourself or to have somebody do that through Fiverr, for example, for maybe $20, you know, which could look pretty close. It's not going to be to the quality of where these engineers are at, but also somebody might be looking at this little Michaela account and think, well, that's that's an authentic person. That is her, this Michaela Sosa. But she's also adding this filter when she posts to give herself a little bit of a of a CGIE look. So she's almost, you know, doing this on purpose just to obscure so she's not as recognizable in public. So people think things like this. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin.
Author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. Look, Kevin, the best I can do is 2D batteries, a picture of Anne Hathaway, and a bus token. You take that, and you just walk away. Huh? An ashtray, a bar of soap, and a sprinkler head. You take that, and you just walk away. So let's contemplate the uh, implications of this. So I had a, a discussion um, with one of my friends about this whole concept of um, transhumanism. So this is kind of along that stretch somewhat. So he's studying transhumanism, which is saying... At some point, um, and right now it's kind of philosophical, but you know we could use technology to um, transform the human condition to create, um, for example, a, a greater intelligence, a greater sensory um, you know, in- input that we could see things better, that we could um, smell things better, we could have our strength increased by certain types of, you know, either physiological changes to our body or certain types of apparel we wear. I know this is common now in in manufacturing where people can kind of wear suits which help them lift things, um, and then they don't fatigue nearly as quickly as what they did without these these suits. Um, and they're not real bulky or anything like that, and that will just become kind of more common in time. But his discussion, which is very interesting, and I'd like to have this discussion on a Safety Doc podcast with him, is what what would be the impacts of transhumanism? If all of us um, could be walking around, and I believe T.J. Martinell in his book, The Stringers, so you, you could check that out. He is a Fiction writer kind of bases stuff in the gritty 1930s, really fascinating stuff. But in The Stringers, I think, talks about, you know, what if we have a, a society that evolves where you could have something like a bionic eye or, you know, now they talk about the contact lenses that can take pictures, can record video. And pretty soon all of that is just going to be ubiquitous. It'll be like the phones are today. I would have never thought when I was in high school of that we would have, you know, cell phones that would be similar to what we have today. I think I, I had one or two friends who had cell phones who that were literally like the bricks. One actually had one in the car, <laughs> and that was that was pretty wild. Um, but you know, where you you have this entire recording studio, this entire research device at your tips. This, the, I mean, more calculation um, and access than we we could have ever imagined in high definition and so forth. But imagine like if you're just walking around that you could be looking, observing something and recording it and recording conversations with other people. And now everything is kind of this universally invasive. Um, And what does that look like in areas where there obviously shouldn't be the ability to record? Is, Is there this whole counter industry that develops to block this technology? You know, like in um, locker rooms at the gym and things like this. Um, but just in general, everybody would have to be very measured with their words and their actions because you would have this ongoing record of always of, of kind of what you said and, and, and what you did. It gets in, I guess, a little bit to that discussion. I had an, an earlier podcast about how China is giving everybody the social score right now. So the higher social score you have, the more perks you have, such as being able to fly on a plane, being able to take a faster train and and things like that. And if you don't keep your social score 
up, then you lose those privileges and you have to do things to earn those privileges back. So this kind of gets into that weird area and this whole transhumanism of what does it look like even for if you're out for a hike in the woods or if you're in some kind of sports, um, if you're, you know, even golfing and stuff like that and, and suddenly, you know, through your eyes and special, you know, contact lenses that identifies how far everything is, what your shot should be, and maybe some something you wear, how far your your arm should go back, your shoulders before you hit the ball and accelerate. And I mean, how much of this then takes away from the game? And as we watch all of the athletics, um, if we start to have athletes who are who are using um, you know special types of, of transhumanism advancements to which we already I guess see right in steroids and things like that this would be much further down the road than that as far as you know changing um, the ability to to race to a line drive and and all of those things and keep your balance and jump when you're at the outfield fence you know imagine someone jumping 10 feet in the air to <laughs> catch a ball some sports like basketball you'd have to get prohibitive because I mean you know, that could be so manipulated if everybody could be able to, you know, jump 15 feet and, and dunk a ball. I mean, so we run into this whole area. Um, so right now, this uncanny valley, let's go back to that. We've all had movies we've seen or these images of robots on TV that they like to show off now where they'll have the face be hyper-realistic, and it'll be programmed to do a basic conversation with with somebody, um, you know, so it does look like it's an authentic conversation, although, you know, there's obviously um, one or more people on the other end programming what the response is, but then what they do on purpose is they leave the back of it exposed, so you do see all of the mechanical pieces and the wires and things like that, so it's just it's a really weird observation, but so you see this hyper-realistic kind of this uncanny effect from the ears forward and from the ears back, you completely know that this is, this is a robot. So, um, but this, this ability for, I'm going to really focus now on um, kids. I, I think it's going to be very difficult for kids to identify these little Michaelas and the CGR avatars, which are crossing the uncanny valley. And I don't think they're going to scrutinize and the gut reaction also of saying, this just does, this seems weird. Um, I just don't think that that's going to be there. So we come back to uh, Masahiro Mori in 1970, coining this term, uncanny valley. It describes our strange revulsion toward things that appear nearly human, but not quite right. So again, it's that sense of not quite right. It's all situational awareness. I talk about this in my book, School of Airs, which will be out soon, teaching situational awareness. For example, um, if you have students, let's say that you have you take 10 students and you, you take 15 minutes and you walk around the school and you walk around the outside of the school and you have intentionally created some situations which are out of the ordinary. For example, maybe you have the song Jingle Bells um, playing over by a swing set. Maybe you have like um, some cryptic ancient alien type chalk draw drawings on the sidewalk. Um, maybe there is a stuffed unicorn that's hanging from a flagpole and a cutout of uh, Justin Bieber that is like inside of a, a car that, that you walk by. It's, um, so, you know, just things like that. And, and you get, you, you walk through, and maybe in one area, yeah, you, you have this really strong scent of like oranges or something like that. Um, so you, you, you go through um, and you don't tell the students ahead of time to observe or anything like that. You just say we're gonna we're going to to take some time out of the classroom. We're gonna you know walk today, get get some movement, and then um, you come back and you sit down and say, you know what, um, I, I I thought there were some things a little different today than than usual, and I'm not gonna say anything. But did anybody here notice anything out of the ordinary today? 
And the first few times you do that, the students might identify one thing, two things, especially if somebody points it out. Oh, yeah, the Justin Bieber in the car. Okay, yeah, we got that. But how about the jingle bells that was over by the slide? Or how about like the chalk drawings or whatever, or some of these things? They're not going to identify that because they're not, they're not looking for it. They're not actively in this, this brain mode of situational awareness. Again, situational awareness, as I'm kind of trying to weave this all together, also gets into this uncanny divide. It is what helps you identify when something just quite isn't right, whether it be like this little Michaela or whether it be like something that your friend is posting. This is very helpful with um, grooming or sexual offenders. It's usually the child's peers that identify something isn't quite right with whoever, um, you know, their friend. Um, they're, they're kind of hiding their phone. They're not interacting as much with us. And just some, there's some sense, like when we bring up whoever this person is that they're interacting with, um, and, and they can pick up on that. And then they need to be able again to act on that and be educated to, you know, if you, if you have that sense, bring it forward, um, into a report, into telling an adult, but, um, so th- this is this is amazing stuff. This this uncanny valley because this really wasn't so much a concern um, until recent because everything was so overtly um, uh, pointed out. You know, like Godzilla and stuff like that in in the movies. I mean, there was it, it was obviously you know not real and um, aliens and and you know just these. Um, uh, I think a young Frankenstein and things like that, you know, kind of the movies um, that I liked. But um, so the uncanny valley again gets into this this revulsion where you actually they, they show it. So it, it looks like a valley. It dips down people's acceptance of this cartoon figure. So again, the movie The Incredibles, people very accepting. Um, because the Incredibles are designed to be very kind of angular and obviously not real looking. But then again, you get toward Polar Express and you have this deep dip down. It goes below a baseline where some people feel revolved. Something's not right. Something is just weird with the movements of the speech and the hair and where the eyes are. And it looks like there isn't any emotion in back of the eyes. We're all very adept at identifying that because for years... Before we had focus lock with the screens on our phones for years, we could identify subtle changes in people by the way that they were looking with their eyes, by facial expressions, by body expressions. We could also do this with animals um, in our environment. You know, 200 years ago, if, if you cross a wild animal in the woods, understanding its, its positioning and things like that, we were very tuned into this. Skills that we have actually quickly lost. We've quickly lost these skills. Um, it, it, it's like you have this time to develop them, and, and what's happening is we're not developing them. We're, we're, again, going to the screen. We're going to the focus lock. And we haven't been helped out because schools do not teach situational awareness to kids. Like that little trip I was talking um, to you about, um, that goes right from the scouting handbook. Sir Baden-Powell had many activities like that for scouting where they would focus on situational awareness. So just kind of check that out too. Sir Baden-Powell, B-A-D-E-N-P-O-W-E-L-L. Talk about that in my book, School of Airs. But um, that was 100 years ago. I think it was more than, I think it was like 110 years ago, the first version of that came out. And some of those activities are used today by snipers to teach situational awareness. And situational awareness is, for example, peering through um, a a scope looking at um, a couple acres of of, um, prairie and being able to identify someone who has hidden out there or even like, you know, a pen that is put up and, and just sticking a little bit above the grass, you know, somewhere that they can identify that. They're so used to what is ordinary that they can pick up very quickly what is out of the ordinary. So that's that whole uncanny valley of crossing also. Picking up what is quite, uh, what 
shouldn't be there, what is just a little bit off, you know, like somebody who's hiding, who's all done in camouflage, but there's a little bit of a pattern there that just doesn't quite match what is around that person. So that's how they're identified. So um, again, let's make this clear. This uncanny valley is something that is innate and deep within us. So it's just kind of been elicited recently through the CGI avatar. So we hear more about it, um, you know, from 1970 onward, and we're hearing more about it right now as CGI is rapidly advancing. And we have these things like little Michaela, who is um, also, you know, sporting um, apparel that she basically is, you know, she's not being paid to do this. Um, the people behind the scenes are receiving some type of payment, you know, okay, have her wear this shirt with whatever logo or these type of shoes um, and support these types of things. So it is this this weird area too where if you're an actor, you know, now several actors also have CGI counterparts in final productions of movies. So they do stuff in front of a green screen and suddenly there is, it's like Dobie, right? In Harry Potter, Dobie, who obviously um, wasn't human, but did seem very realistic for, um, as he presented on screen, of having human-like qualities. But, um, so Dobie was, I, I think, what, about three foot tall, um, and, and, um, if you were, were to just look Dobie up, I mean, have very exaggerated features, but Dobie also kind of crossed this uncanny valley where when he started to struggle in the movie and eventually died, people in theaters cried when Dobie died, fully knowing that there was no real Dobie. There is not a Dobie in real life. Um, you know, it's, it's not like a, an uncanny, you know, animal or human that would die in a movie. It's like, you know, this, this Dobie is obviously a manufactured character, but had elicited this motion, emotion from the audience and from the members where when he died, they felt sorrow. Um, and again, examples of crossing this uncanny divide. So what does this all mean? So we've already talked about some of the points, but this will change, I believe, the future of what we know as fame. I think you're going to have famous avatars, and they will be at the same level as people who actually, you know, right now go on concert <laughs> and are, you know, are famous athletes and, and just people that we would think are are famous, that this is going to be this new generation of fame, and you'll never probably know who's behind this. Because I think the moment you know who the puppeteer is or who the team is behind it, it takes away that appeal of the person, um, of the CGI avatar. It takes away that appeal. So it's best if it's just obscure in the background. It's the avatars, the focus. You're going to have famous avatars, and they can come out with anything. I mean, they can be singing songs. They can be giving speeches on certain topics. They can be used for positive motivation. If you could have apps where the avatar could start to personalize things to you or towards you. For example, they could know what is happening in your area for you know weather um, and for events. Um, they could also have some uh, algorithm scripts where if you're sharing certain things, like if they had some questions that they were asking, that they had certain responses, again, either affirming or maybe not affirming, it's hard to say. And that's where we get into this Turing test, T-U-R-I-N-G test, the Turing test, which was the test to um, separate if something was authentic, if you're talking to a human, or if you were exchanging um communication with a robot, that the Turing test would be able to identify, yes, this is a robot. And that is getting blurred with the little Michaela's of the world and how these processes are, are happening. Now, the thing with the Turing test is the Turing test is identifying that the robot is genuinely a robot making its own responses to you without anyone behind programming it. So we're not to that level yet. Like with this little Michaela, for example, there is this team behind it. So it's not like a true Turing test, but it's kind of like a pseudo Turing test. And again, people are following 
these um, avatars, and they are believing that these avatars are authentic. They've just they've just given into that, and we haven't done a good job as the news, right? Because you know the whole term of fake news. What is fake news? What is coming out? And people trying to validate the news. It's like, oh my goodness, how do we do this? How do we validate the news? Um, and it's such a challenge right now on how to do this. And I I don't I don't have an answer. And we don't teach kids really well on how to do this either on how to validate things we and do we we don't really do this for adults either a story comes out and somebody just takes it and goes with it and once somebody else shares it or picks up on it it kind of becomes authenticated and there it is without really doing a research into it um so the other parts are this is going to change branding so people are going to want their hip cool avatars out there um, because they're going to want to put on, you know, shirts that have a specific brand on. So, but you're going to have branding will be completely different because it, it can change in the moment. Um, and it, again, it's going to be, well, I want to wear what this person is wearing. I want to go to these types of events or this person is validating maybe a purchase that I made. So what if I go online and I'm purchasing a certain brand of hiking shoes and now the company I bought these from also then post an ad with like, you know, one of these cool popular followed avatars and the person is wearing the identical same shoes that I just bought. I'm like, oh my goodness. Or what if I'm like just shopping online at a site and I'm checking out like some, some hiking shoes or hiking equipment and suddenly up on a little, you know, side pop-up or whatever, there is this popular avatar and this person is wearing and using these types of things that I was considering buying. Well, wouldn't that influence you? Wouldn't you be like, well, this was, uh, I was looking at this and wow, like here's what it actually looks like in use in, in this, you know, avatar, which I'm not sure I know is an avatar or I'm thinking is an authentic person. Um, they're using it, so it's validating and I think it would increase purchases. You also have the social justice aspect of this. Um, you could have this person advocating for different social justice positions and build up that following. Now imagine with the elections coming up, so Lil Michaela has a following of a million subscribers. Um, but even if it's a local election, um, a statewide election, and, and you start to have these avatars um, playing into that or a national election, they're going to influence it. We know that there's been bot influence on elections, how news, how information has been steered. But now if you have this personal connection of somebody saying, I am for this position which aligns with this candidate. So you could definitely have, um, whether it be social justice or also a, a position that might be social exclusive could be advocated by an avatar. And I think whoever's behind the scenes in this would want to I mean, they, they would probably be paid by, you know, whatever fund is is advocating that they want this person in this office versus this person. Um, so we can get into some really murky areas here where you can be um, told, a, a, given a speech, told some information um, from the CGI avatar that you relate to is maybe like wearing clothes from your area or says, you know, they're doing things like from your area and they, they understand, they relate to you. And it's really not a person at all. It's this group of people mixed with an algorithm of what keywords tend to get people to make certain decisions and what type of apparel makes people feel more at ease. Um, and, and all of this can be can be manufactured and kind of the wool pulled over your eyes. Again, we're not teaching people to kind of think on their own. People are going to default to efficiency and efficiency might be, well, this person looks like they've done the work. Like they actually seem like they have done the work. It's a CGI avatar. But again, they, they look like they've studied this. What if you have like a little Michaela who says, you know, I study all of these types of apparel, for example, and I've compared this, this, and this, and this is better. Be like, that person has done the work for me. And yet it's the CGR avatars communicating that the position is, there might not have been any research, any comparison done on this. It's just marketing from the backside.
So students with perceptual skill limitations will be more susceptible to influence by CGI avatars. For example, students with autism, students with intellectual disabilities are not going to recognize this. Um, these, these avatars, these little Michaela's as not being authentic. It was um, on September 11, 2001, I was teaching when I learned of the attack on the Twin Towers. Actually, it was a fourth grade student came into my room. His name was Harley. And he said, uh, Mr. P, uh, did you see what's happening on the, the computer on the news? And I said, no. So I logged in, went to Yahoo, and um, they had the breaking news of the attack um, on the, the World Trade Center. And then, of course, all of the additional attacks as the information was available. And um, there, at that time, was a girl at the high school who had a traumatic brain injury a number of years ago, was in a farming accident, and had a traumatic brain injury that impacted her short-term memory. So what was happening is she was unable to um, identify if something had happened 10 minutes ago and it happened right now, that it also happened 10 minutes ago. And one of the problems she was encountering, and this was the early days of the internet when everything was pop-ups before pop-up blockers, is as she would use the computer and something would come up saying, hey, you just won whatever back in 2001, she would click on it, believing it was authentic. She couldn't separate that out. Um, and people were working with her on that. And she, she was a great kid, but this was a disability that um, she had where, you know, due to the traumatic brain injury. So every time on the, one of the monitors at, at this high school, the, there was a replay of the, the plane flying into the Twin Tower. She thought it was original, that that was the first time that that had happened. So, of course, they needed to um, remove her from seeing that because she was being traumatized over and over and over and over again, in addition to, you know, everybody else having to, to you know, process through that and talk through that. So for her, um, she's going to easily be manipulated by a CGI avatar, especially if that avatar is, is trying to market a product or trying to get her to um, give some credit card number or PayPal or whatever it is that they're trying to get. Um, so again, the positive sides of, of the avatars... Um, you know, could be could be for entertainment, could be realism if it's gaming and things like that, and people know that. Um, but I think it gets spooky also to have avatars who are giving you. We we talked at one point too about these virtual field trips. I write about this in my book. Of we're getting to this 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 trend right now where um, people are marketing virtual field trips to school. Don't go to Washington D.C. It's dangerous. That's told by the parents. You know. Uh, we're not going to send our eighth grade kids there. Parents are saying this, a school district outside of Cleveland, because it's dangerous. We need to keep them safe. So instead, we'll do like a virtual field trip. Well, companies are latching onto this. They're realizing we can do virtual field trips and we can market it to schools as safety, when in fact, you can market it most effectively, not as safety, but as economical. That would make more sense instead of saying, you know, the cost to get a bus and if we have to stay there and food and all of this and the logistics. Um, but no, they're saying this is a safety thing. So, you know, you can have these these CGI avatars, which are giving this positionality of saying, here's what it's like to be at the Lincoln Memorial and here, you know, the, at the mall and and Monument Mall and all of that. And, and again, this is the positionality of maybe like one person who's who's giving this instead of people actually being out there and getting to just understand the the, the landscape of how big all of this is. Um and the awe in the people who have been there before and to look around to see the, the, the buildings, to see other people, the authentic experience is being replaced. And that's going to be ushered in further by the CGI avatars. Imagine, too, if you're given a tour, and it's not by, like, a teacher, but it's by, like, a little Michaela. So if you're, like, an eighth grader and somebody your age or a couple years older is giving this tour who is a CGI avatar who has positionality programmed in because they're going to whoever's programming in like what they want you to know about Washington, D.C. or whatever um, location without ever leaving your desk, putting on your you know 3D headset. But um, you're going to relate to that person a little better than you know your teacher who might have you know 
is 30 years older than you. And it's like, what do you have in common in me versus like this person who's like, looks like me and wearing the same type of clothing and listening to the same music and has some headphone bud, you know, has some earbuds around her neck and things like that. So I can, I'm going to listen to this person. Right. So, um, we go back to that high school with this student with a traumatic brain injury. She would definitely be susceptible to CGI avatar. She's not going to recognize that uncanny valley. And there are many students like that, students with autism, students with intellectual disabilities. Well over 10 million students in the United States with some sort of disability. The number is probably much higher than that. Um, I'm not, um, if we look at students identified under the Individuals with Disability Education Act, the number becomes more precise into that 10 million range. But if we consider students who are identified just medically um, and not through schools um, or students, um, again, that might be homeschool or private school that have different uh, disabilities that aren't showing up in these, these aggregate systems, the number is probably closer you know, to 15 million, one five million. So, and not in, in that, you know, we also can extend that out to adults, young adults, older adults, adults that start to experience dementia post stroke, post ischemic attack, um, that have a hard time identifying what's truth and what's not. You know, we hear about these stories too, where somebody calls um, a, a grandparent and they say, yeah, I'm your grandson and I'm whatever, I'm down, you know, and in this area and I had an accident with the car and, and grandma, I need you to send me, you know, wire me $4,800 and whatever. And I can't let, you know, mom and dad know about this or whatever. And, and grandparents and, you know, that authentically um, are, are taken advantage of by, by these con artists. And, you know, we, we hear about that on a pretty frequent basis because the con artist can research and obtain all of this information about, you know, the, this grandson and this connection. And then they're calling. It's almost like this uncanny valley somewhat, but there isn't this like, um, you know, the, the grandparent could, could be like, well, why can't you do whatever? Or, you know, they're not running them necessarily through this whole check of questions because on the other side, the, the grandchild is just accelerating saying you need to trust me and i always thought i could go to you and now whatever so it puts this person in this really awkward position and again these sad stories of someone who's given them you know 4800 because they thought their grandson had been in an accident and had called when it was just a con artist so again now imagine if this goes even you know a a, a step further i mean i don't see um <laughs> I don't imagine grandparents getting on and Skyping and things like that, but, um, you know, you could hypothetically even, you know, have something confirmed through like an email or something like that, that, that sent or through like a phone, you know, well, I can send, I'm going to send you a picture of like me in the car. And, and if you had a picture of the grandson, you know, you, it, it, you could create this whole additional layer to go with it. And again, it's, it's accelerating time. People have to make a decision like right now, you put that on them. And then they, they, they just go with it. So how do, we, how do we teach these perceptual skills and teach authentication? I think it needs to become part of school curriculums. Um, it Definitely for media, for one, that needs to be part of school curriculums. What is, what is accurate um, from the media? You know, one of the greatest tools out there, I, I think, it's not perfect, but it's, you know, if you're buying something from somebody on eBay, and they've sold 8,000 things and they have a 99.9% satisfaction, you know, that's that's someone who's probably reliable to purchase from. And they need to maintain that. And also, you know, kind of on Amazon and the reviews, I'd rather buy something based upon Amazon reviews, being able to read through several reviews. Um, I'm going to go with that product. And if it has a pretty good rating, because, um, you know, I, I, can, I have more information to go from there. So also, what are we going to look at here? We're going to look at concerts, which are going to start changing. We're going to have hologram concerts. So again, what if little Michaela becomes a singer and she shows up in concert, but it, she's a hologram and this gets perfected to the point where she's on stage and she's performing. And what happened if, again, or somebody passes away and they're coming back and their image is being used as a hologram and just all of these weird things who gets the money? Who gets the rights? You know, what, what the message that they're sending, who ultimately is responsible 
for this, who's the gatekeeper for this. And then we start to see now these feuds between these CGI avatars, which are completely manipulated, um, but it is giving this sense of realism to position people in different camps in, and because people do have feuds, people do have disagreements. So why shouldn't these CGI avatars, like little Michaela have a disagreement with whoever, with whoever on something because it just adds realism. So people are catching on to this. There are social scientists um, and psychiatrists actually working with video game manufacturers. I talked about this before, kind of all fits in though, of the push notifications. So 10 years ago, the goal with video games was to have the game very engaging for people and try to get it lifelike, but very engaging for the user. Now the goal is to have that, but also a cold goal that you have push notifications that you are exploiting the user in these games to come back and keep using the game, keep buying credits in the game. And actually while they're using the game, you're also gaining market information from them. But um, for example, I've shared this, like, you know, a push notification of Timmy, you haven't been in your game with your tribe and your dragon is hungry and you really need to log in and feed your dragon. And then a couple hours later, it's like, oh, Timmy, um, you haven't logged in yet. And here's a picture of your dragon. And they show some dragon. It's kind of on its side and its tongue is out. And it's like, oh, my goodness, not doing well. You need to, to take care of your dragon. But, you know, if something is going on, you're not able to do this right now. You can redeem some coins, some tokens, or use your PayPal account. And, uh, you know, somebody else will take care of your dragon until you come back, you know, for, you know, like the next day or something. And people will do that. They'll be like, I can't get to it right now. I don't want my dragon to die. That sets me back. And I'm also working with the tribe. And if I don't have the dragon as an asset, that's a bad thing. So I am going to redeem like the $2 and someone will take care of my dragon, which is nothing. It just means it's cashed and your electronic dragon, which doesn't exist, is fine for another 24 hours. So school safety implications as we wrap this up. Authentication, big. Teaching situational awareness, big. This all comes into play. Situational awareness. Um, I talked about Sir Baden, Paul, and the scouting games. These are things that we should be teaching kids, not only as part of curriculum, but students with disabilities include this in their individualized education plans or IEPs. Sexual predators, grooming, sexual offenders, all in that same category. Grooming is going to take on a whole different appearance once these CGI avatars get more perfected and cross the uncanny valley. Now it's not just the groomers sending out the 200 profiles of maybe the image that they've just copied somewhere off of a web search or, you know, that they've, they've just taken while, you know, out in public. And here it is. And it, it could be, you know, like your, your daughter, your brother, your relative, whatever. And they have no idea. And it's, it's using this image. Um, so they have all of these different images, so it's authentic to that effect, but they don't have like multiple images of this this person. So they don't have an image of them while they're going to school. They don't have an image of them while they're going out to eat. There's one image that they use. If you had a CGI avatar type system and you could cross this uncanny valley, you could start to morph this image as a groomer um, into... Um, you know, several, you know, green screen type background type things you, you could put in front of. And you could actually say, if you identified, uh, you know, there was a someone who you communicated with a profile online or whatever. And, and, and I, I've, it could be, you know, we were at the same concert and I, cause I saw this in your profile image that you were at this concert and I was at the same concert. And then you could actually go in and find some pictures from that concert or just pictures, even like in a hallway where it looks like you're kind of in a big venue and you could take the CGI, put the, that person in these images, put concert apparel on them, logos, other things, and start to build this where suddenly it's like, Oh, you have this whole context and situation around this person, which helps to cross this uncanny div- Valley groomers were already very effective with just the chatting back and forth, telling the um, the youth what they wanted to hear, not what they needed to hear. That's what parents share, what they needed to hear. Hector Solis, Hector Solis, an awareness podcast, phenomenal research. 
um, uh, I would say as a citizen journalist in his series on predator behavior um, as a public resource, again, Hector Solis, but talking about how um, it is the groomer will share information and invalidate. Like, yeah, you had every right to go to that concert, even if your parent was giving you a hard time of why are you spending your money that way versus, you know, you should be saving your money for whatever. No, you, you, you know, you live once and you need to be able to enjoy concerts. And if you wanted this, you should go to that. That's what this person wants to hear. See, it's what they want to hear versus what they need to hear. Maybe it's like, well, you've gone to other things and whatever, but you also have some expenses. If you're going to, you know, be paying part of your cell phone plan, then yes, you need to be paying part of your cell phone plan and that money is not going toward the concert what they need to hear versus what they want to hear. Now imagine, again, this is all done through chat, very effective with the groomers, unfortunately, very sadly, but very effective. And now if you can add in the CGI type avatar, um, and this is, uh, and as soon as you know where this other person, the student lives, like if they share, I live in this town or I live in whatever, you can start finding information about that algorithms and you can even know again about the weather that day say, you know, um, and hey, it was like, I I saw like you had the snowstorm or whatever. And like, I was kind of in an area once. And when I used to live, whatever, you make his whole backstory up, you know, we had snowstorms too. And so did you have off of school today? And, you know, yeah, I had off of school. So you have all of these things that quickly get you over this uncanny divide, this uncanny valley. But it's it's going to be something we want to do as schools. I talk about when I teach students um, who are going to be superintendents or special education people services directors. There's two things that in, in the way that we approach professional development in schools. One is awareness, and one is what is a a pervasive um, issue. Awareness, for example, is the laundry pod challenge. So when the kids were or seeing how many laundry pods they could consume, that's that's something that is going to be around for a couple of months, and then they'll be on to something else. Which I think right now is you start your car and you you have it kind of idling, or it, it, you put it in drive so it starts to move, and then you jump out next to it and you do some dance, and then you jump back into it, which is completely stupid and dangerous and all of that. But that's kind of like the new thing um, I've seen, and and that will stop, and that will then move on to something else. But so those are those are awareness things. You make people aware of here's here's what's happening, kids aware of, of that, of consequences and parents and but you know that that's not a fad you know that's a fad. Like the laundry pod that that's not happening to the level nearly that it was happening a year ago. That's gonna go away. But this grooming, that's pervasive. That's something that we need to include in our curriculum of how we're of what we're teaching students about sexual offenders, about predators, about groomers. And now also this whole landscape has changed where it's going to include this whole CGI avatar type perspective. And again, what is what is so frightening about this is we've uh, we've crossed the uncanny valley in, in some instances. We will defeat the, tearing, the Turing test, T-U-R-I-N-G, in some instances. So students aren't being taught really to validate their sources. And it's, it's getting easier to get over that uncanny valley, and the technology is going to start moving us over that. So you could actually have a friend who you could be Skyping with who is completely CGI avatar generated. I could That could be me right now. It's not. <laughs> um, I've actually got features on the side. They all come up definitely as what avatars would, but y- you could have that. That could actually be happening right now now that technology um, I'm sure it is happening to some extent but it could be to the quality of what this is you know like not high definition but as long as the conversations were short and there was somebody behind the scenes and you can have all of the movements of the mouth that can mirror for all of the words that can be programmed in there's already software out there it's not commercially available um, or but there is software uh, which can you can take anybody and make it appear as if they're giving any presentation, any speech. With You can change their, their lip movements and all of that. So I could give the Gettysburg Address. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast. 
with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perotti. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perotin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.